Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Wednesday night, we're in the house, in your house. Probably 7.30 East Coast time, 4.30 West Coast. Maybe you're catching us as you're about to get out of work. It's the Shop Buffalo Bills football podcast. Back to you after an unbelievably crazy weekend. Uh, a show every day of the draft. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Talbot. And as promised, we got Chris Trapasso back in the house because we wanted to do a deep dive on all of this thing after the dust settled. How are you, my friend? Have you been able to get some sleep the last couple of days? I have. Uh, Thursday night and Friday night were about four hours each, so my body was a little bit shaken going into the third day of the draft, but I've gotten some rest, and I'm really excited to talk the Bills 2021 draft class with you guys. For a second there, Ryan was frozen up, and I was like, wow, this, this might Uh-oh. be the Matt and Chris show tonight because uh, <laughs> that was looking really... Now, i got to say, I've seen a couple of your hits on CBS Sports HQ. Your, your video setup there is high class it is high marks like you're looking pretty good you're looking official it's 100 the backdrop my wife's doing she set up the backdrop cbs sent me the camera and this this ring light is great it may it it, oh, yeah. it makes for a good shot but it's also very damaging on the eyes like oh, when yeah. i'm done i close my eyes and i just see a circle for about two hours so after the next couple of weeks or so, when things kind of die down with the NFL draft, I'm not going to be sad to not stare into this ring light for the next <laughs> couple of months. How are you, Ryan? Hey, I'm doing great. Like you said, uh, the, the draft is coming gone. It was a little bit of a marathon. Uh, the, the Bills obviously having three picks in the sixth round. That that was like rapid fire trying to keep up with all of that with the site and, and running things. So definitely happy that that's over now uh, and looking forward to to seeing what this draft class can do short-term and long-term. Yeah, I think that getting into this this draft class for the Bills is going to be fun tonight um, because I feel like, you know, combing through the comment section, um, you know, on social media and elsewhere, I feel like there was, you know, a couple different groups of people. There was the people that were, you know, in being we trust, no matter what happened in this draft, you know, they were going to be happy with it. There was the group that, 
you know, maybe had bought into a, a different edge rusher or a running back or a cornerback or, or maybe those who just really just didn't like any of the picks or most of the picks. And we can kind of get into how all that shaped up. But I wanted to start off, Chris, tonight with you. You spend so much time over the course of draft season preparing for this eventual event and you go as a bills fan you go into this draft with kind of an idea for what you want the bills to accomplish with the draft so if you could compare that the what you went into the weekend you know hoping for or you know what you want to see the bills accomplish and how does that compare with what they actually did accomplish with their picks yeah for the most part what the bills did uh aligned with what i thought myself like what they needed to do or should have done during their 2021 draft uh the only two clear-cut misses in my opinion in terms of philosophy was picking an instant impact guy at number 30 overall and adding a cornerback relatively early we know they picked Rashad Wild Goose in the sixth round out of Wisconsin a corner uh the chances of a six round corner ultimately being a really good pro are relatively low that's not anything on Wild Goose um as an individual, but I was a little bit surprised and thought that they, again, went someone that's a long-term, long-view option at pick 30, and that they ultimately did not address the cornerback two spot with one of their first couple selections. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess we can get into more of this as we go along, but was there somebody sticking out on your board? I mean, I want to talk about cornerbacks in a bit, but was there somebody that was sticking out on the board that maybe you would have gone in a different direction than how they went with Gregory Rousseau. Yeah. Asante Samuel jr. Was sitting there and I had him graded as a top 20 player in this draft class. I was really on an Island there to use a cornerback term. Uh, <laughs> almost everyone had Patrick Sertan and JC Horn as the top two corners. I didn't see it that way. Caleb Farley was in the mix too, but then he has the back injury. Uh, any of my grades and never factor in medicals. Cause I'm not a doctor. I'm not talking to players and, and, just it's too convoluted when you go down that road. So I did have Caleb Farley as my first corner. And then I had Asante Samuel Jr. The only reason or way why I maybe would have shied away from it for the Bills was because I did think that Buffalo needed to add a little size and length at the cornerback spot because Tredavious White isn't the biggest corner in the NFL. However, in today's league, it's all about separation ability, and there's not as many 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", dominant wide receivers as there are the six foot to six one type wide receivers who win with separation and quickness. So I thought Asante Samuel was actually a pretty similar prospect to Tredavious White when he was coming out of LSU in 2017. He was sitting there at pick 30. He ultimately goes in the 40s to the Chargers. Um, so that might seem like a big gap, but we've heard about teams passing on a player in the first round, and then he ultimately doesn't go until round two midway or, or later portions of the second round. So I thought um, Asante Samuel Jr. would have been the instant impact guy and would have filled that cornerback need right there in the first round. So you did just mention, though, cornerback lengthy, someone that has a little athleticism, and that kind of takes you to then to round two. They, they go Rousseau, that's fine. So round two then a lot of fans are like, okay, cornerback. And sitting on there, local product, Ify Melifawanu out of Syracuse, a lot of fans thought that he could have been in the mix and obviously wasn't in the mix for the Bills, fell a little bit further than some anticipated. Uh, so what was your thoughts on the Bills, one, passing on him in round two and, and uh, going back to the well, so to speak, with the edge rusher position? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, he fell a lot farther than people thought. Um, a few people that I talked to around the league kind of had him – 
pegged in like the middle of the second, maybe back portion of the second round. I actually had him graded just outside of my first round um, because I think, and I just talked about the ability to stay with these quick separators. I thought Melifonwu at like six, two and a half and 205 pounds with the explosiveness that he showed at the Syracuse Pro Day was also very good at staying in phase with wide receivers. I don't think he's just explosive. I think he's a good athlete. And there is definitely a difference when you're talking about receivers and cornerbacks. Being explosive is just moving in a straight line in a hurry. Being athletic and quick, we know that's changing direction. So I was surprised that they didn't address corner like most of the uh, people in Western New York. But ironically for me, I did not like the Gregory Russo pick at pick 30. So the Bills almost kind of uh, made amends in round two, picking Carlos Basham, who I had graded much higher than Gregory Russo. I had a first round grade on him. Uh, So if in a league where it's a vital to get after the quarterback, certainly to play coverage well is uh, also, I understood it from that perspective. And after going with the long view with Gregory Russo, I think they went more instant impact at 61 overall with Carlos Basham. This was always, you know, setting up to what eventually happened in my eyes, like getting to the end of round one, having those four cornerbacks off the board and then having to make a real decision. And really, I think it was five or five, right? Cause Stokes went right before the bills. Mm-hmm. So Brandon, Brand, I want to talk more about the cornerback position and we can kind of also pair this with Warren Rousseau. You know, Brandon Bean was on One Bills Live today and he talked about, you know, that they liked this, a couple of guys. They liked Tyson Campbell. They had a grade on him. They liked um, um, Asante Samuel Jr., but not more than Rousseau, who they saw kind of creeping down the, the, the board. And I think what happened is th- they seem to put a, a very high level of priority on those premium positions i'm not sure that like i think cornerback in a way is a premium position but having tredavious white on the roster at his age i think checks that box and i Mm -hmm. think you can make the argument like you mentioned they had to address the pass rush now pairing this a little bit with rousseau he's such an interesting guy because i've seen like this sweeping level of uh, assessment on him during the scouting process. There's people like Daniel Jeremiah is through the roof on this guy. He stayed there throughout the process, even after the pro day, doubled down on it before the fact. But I've also heard, you know, just as many people, you know, with that like huge audience that aren't as, as high as you being one of them. So I guess where should Bills fans kind of set their expectations with him? Because I, on the other hand, without knowing as much as obviously you do on, you know, judging the prospects and even watching him enough in college, I like the projection on what he could be. And that's why I almost like the reach in this spot, given the circumstances. Yeah, that's a good point, Matt. And it's important to remember that me being a draft analyst, I'm looking at the entire draft class and I'm setting up my big board just based on, the best players I think uh, that could fit on any team. The Bills are going to have a different board than just the consensus draft class that I'm going to set up or or any NFL draft analyst. They're not obviously factoring in certain positions and needs when they're doing an, you know top 275 big board. So I think that's why I was probably a little bit lower on him than most people surrounding the Bills and maybe the Bills in general because they have an idea we know Sean McDermott likes to rotate defensive linemen a lot. And I think quietly the Bills understand that with Josh Allen in place, they are set up better than like 90% 
of the NFL and that they have their young franchise quarterback. And it, yes, is about trying to win a Super Bowl in 2022, but all like in in February of 2022, but it's also about being a uh, perennial contender in the AFC. And I think that was not really baked into my assessment of just watching Gregory Russo from where he is today, because I think, and Brandon Bean actually admitted this too, he's very raw. So I, I just being someone that thought, hey, with Josh Allen on this cheap rookie deal for maybe one more season, get instant impact, try to win a Super Bowl now. Brandon Bean thought, like you're mentioning, hey, we like Tyson Campbell. We like Asante Samuel Jr., but we like the next 10 years of Gregory Russo, maybe compared to a higher floor but a lower ceiling with some of the other cornerbacks. So I think that's ultimately why myself and the Bills did not see eye to eye on the Gregory Russo pick um, because I'm looking at the draft as a whole and the Bills have a very narrow view just on what they believe is best to build their team. Not necessarily just win this season, but win over the next decade plus with Josh Allen. You know, Chris, you just used a buzzword that I was going to bring up, and that's the word raw, and that takes me to the next pick. Spencer Brown, highly athletic, crazy athletic offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. Yeah, What's realistic for him in year one? Because you have an analyst like Charles Davis, well-respected, who said before the draft, this guy's going to play 10 games as a rookie, obviously without knowing that he was going to land in Buffalo where there's already two established starters. Uh, but there's a lot of other people say, whoa, slow it down. This is someone that's not going to be ready for a few years. So where do you stand, first of all, in Spencer Brown? And what's a realistic expectation for him this upcoming season? Yeah, I had him graded a little bit lower than this, somewhere like in the middle portions of day three. And the Bills pick him in the third round. But as a draft analyst, it's not just all about watching film. I love the predictive powers of athleticism and like you mentioned Ryan Spencer Brown had a pro day for the ages at 68 and like 315 320 pounds so uh but playing as a rookie i think he'll start i mean Ryan Bates is the established kind of swing tackle but i think at that size with those athletic traits i won't be surprised if midway through the season Spencer Brown kind of takes over as that extra offensive tackle in Bills jumbo packages are the Bills hoping that, or would they feel comfortable with him uh, standing in at right or left tackle in year one if there's an injury to Deion Dawkins or Darrell Williams? Probably not because the rawness uh, is in pass protection uh, with his footwork. But I, I definitely think, and not that they'll need it, but by 2022, he'll be ready to go. The one part with Spencer Brown that was impossible to bake into a grade for him Northern Iowa didn't have a college football season in 2020, and he spent the entire year training on stuff like his footwork with Joe Staley, the former San Francisco 49ers offensive tackle that was a great blocker for like a decade plus in San Francisco. If he's cleaned up his footwork and maybe can get a little bit stronger than in the coming months, it wouldn't be crazy to see him you know, ultimately play and play pretty well because the physical attributes are absolutely through the roof. You know, Chris, you mentioned Ryan Bates. You you mentioned Spencer Brown. What did this addition mean for Bobby Hart, another free agent signing, someone that was thought to be in the mix for swing tackle? Well, I think it, it kind of goes back to your last question. And I think early in the season, September, October, uh, the Bills, of course, would feel more comfortable with someone that has Bobby Hart's experience being that swing tackle or that six offensive lineman in a jumbo package. But it certainly does not bode well for his long-term uh, 
stability on the roster because Spencer Brown, third round pick, very athletic, high upside. Uh, and we know Brandon Bean loves trading offensive linemen mm -hmm. during the preseason, during training camp. We just saw Jawan James, the Denver Broncos right tackle, go down with potentially a season-ending injury. Don't be surprised with this glut of offensive linemen if Brandon Bean ultimately moves someone to get a draft pick in 2022. He likes doing that, and that's a smart way to do business right before the draft when teams are all over the league searching for offensive linemen. You know, a guy that kind of also falls in that category all of a sudden on the other side of the ball is Daryl Johnson, I think. As much as they mm -hmm. love him, and we're going to get in the defensive line in a minute, and maybe we could save this for that because um, uh, I have a fun little exercise I'd like to go through. But, you know, that competition on the defensive line is going to be crazy. I mean, if, if Brian Cox has an unbelievable, you know, training camp preseason, you know, you could flip him for a, a day three pick. Daryl Johnson, I know they love him on special teams, but you, you're looking at the depth now on that defensive line. It's going to be something else in camp. Tommy Doyle, Bobby Johnson special, Miami, Ohio connection. And what we've learned over the years now is that Bobby Johnson really does have a voice in the room when it comes to offensive linemen and who he feels can project well in their system. You know, this is a little bit different than, say, a John Feliciano, who he had worked specifically with, basically told him when they were in Oakland, wherever I go, whenever I get an opportunity, I'm going to find a way to get you here. This is a little bit different. This is a guy he went and scouted. Um, but I'm starting to hear this more and more, that these conversations, these connections that we're, we're finding between offensive linemen and Bobby Johnson over the course of the um, – uh, scouting process, they mean something. I mean, Cody Ford talked talked it up a real lot in his rookie year. And so now they have Tommy Doyle, two unbelievable athletic uh, you know, potential swing tackles. I think Doyle played a little bit more on the left side. Spencer was on the right side in college. But what, are, what do you make of having both of these guys going back-to-back -back picks here? And the one thing I, I did read about Doyle, and I think that Bean maybe either misspoke or maybe they have him, grade him diff graded differently, I think it was Dane Brugler's uh, draft guy, that his bend is not nearly as good as Brown's, and that could be something at 6'8 that causes him problems in the NFL. Yeah, that's the one thing that I actually wrote about Spencer Brown that, st that really stuck out in my scouting report for him is that at 6'8, his knee bend was fantastic. Like, he understands – that he naturally does not have good leverage. And even if he is super strong and has crazy long arms, that he can get driven back into the quarterback just because his center of gravity is so high. Tommy Doyle, I didn't see that same type of knee bend on film. And I think more so than Spencer Brown, he gets a little over anxious, uh, kind of lunges and bends at the waist. I think that can be coached out of you. And maybe that connection like you're uh, insinuating with Bobby Johnson is a strong one and that he will be able to coach him up. I didn't think back-to-back -back tackles were necessary, of course, with Daryl Dawkins and um, with Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams. But I, I think what Brandon Bean recently said, like it's a premium position and you almost can't ever have too many quality blockers. And we're thinking way down the road here, but me being a draft guy, it's always about draft picks. If, these guys have to play Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle relatively early in their careers, and they show they can play well. Who says that they can't move one of these players or move Daryl Williams at some point for a pick? So I, I think when you have your franchise quarterback in place, because everything goes back to Josh Allen, right? To draft extra offensive linemen and to make sure that room is never barren is probably a smart idea. Like I, I probably wouldn't have done that, 
But ultimately, looking back, I mean, you don't want it to be a situation where one of the two starting tackles goes down and then it's a liability player out there on the edge. Offensive line is a weak link system. If the, like there can be four good blockers and the one player who's a liability can make the whole unit look bad. It can get your quarterback uh, pressured often, hit often, and the Bills certainly don't want that. So, yes, Tommy Doyle is a little bit more raw. That's why he went in the fifth round and Spencer Brown went in the third but another really tall, really athletic type that has a lot of upside. And we could be talking about these two as the Bills starting tackles in three or four years. Hmm. Chris, did you have a favorite pick in this draft class for Buffalo? Maybe just a player that you thought, boy, he's going to be really good on this team or, or a fit, or maybe a player where you had a, a higher draft grade on them than where they went. Well, there were three players that had that I had higher grades on than where they went. Carlos Basham, Marquez Stevenson, and Damar Hamlin. Of those three, it's kind of hard to pick a favorite. Um, in terms of strictly where I had them graded and where they were picked, that would be Marquez Stevenson. Uh, the Bills got him, what, 203 overall, 201 overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my number 69 overall player. I thought of all the speedsters, the 2-2 Atwells, Amir Smith-Marset, uh, Jalen Darden, that mid-tier smaller speedsters, jet sweep guys, watching their film all back-to-back. I watch receivers all in a row. I thought Marquez Stevenson was the best of that group. He's a little bit taller, a little bit more physical. I thought he beat press at the line of scrimmage with more regularity than any of those players. And he's just insanely fast. He is exactly what the Bills needed as a fourth or a fifth option at best in this past game to be able to threaten. And even if that's just clearing the field deep and allowing more room for Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs uh, running backs out of the backfield, Josh Allen to even run with the football. I think there will be value in him. However, because the receiver group is so stacked, probably my favorite pick was Carlos Basham. And a little bit of that was because I didn't like Rousseau in round one. And they went back with an instant impact guy uh, at 61 overall. I think Basham, can play inside. We said it about AJ Epinesa, but I think Carlos Basham is even better suited to be an inside rusher. And that was kind of a sneaky need for the bills. I think late in the pre-draft process, a lot of people were like, Hey, don't be surprised if the bills pick a defensive tackle, even with getting star back. Uh, we know Ed Oliver at the three technique spot can be good, but hasn't lived up to the hype yet. Cause he's had to move around a lot. I think Carlos Basham can truly be an inside out player. He is a ridiculous mover at like 6'3 and 280. Like there aren't a lot of people on the earth that can move as smoothly with as much explosiveness as Carlos Basham. I like his pass rushing moves. I like the fact that two or three years of high level production in the ACC, he's the opposite of Gregory Rousseau. He might not have 15 sack upside, but I think you're getting someone that is a high floor instant impact guy actually had the same grade on him as what I had on AJ Epinesa last year. And I don't think Carlos Basham needs to slim down, let him move inside and out, get those mismatches against guards and just get up the field. That's where he's the best. And he's a good run defender too. Ryan Ryan has more on Stevenson here and I want to let him ask this, but I wanted to break in here because I did make sure to shout you out on the show the other night. You had the Bills taking him in the third round. So you talk about in, in one of your mock drafts, talk mm-hmm. about insane value. But I also wanted to ask you, 
What's it like in those situations when you hit one like that? And, and this is what you do for a living. Like the team, the fit, and, and, it, and it matches up. I'm sure it happens with with multiple teams per, per draft. But that's got to be like you're sitting back in your office or wherever you're doing your your live uh, chat for CBS and just be like, ding, ding, ding. Let me ring the bell. Yeah, the Marquez Stevenson one was pretty cool. I mean, like growing up a Bills fan and, and, and me, I think an hour before he was picked, I tweeted just randomly and I was doing the, the live draft grade. So I didn't have a lot of time to tweet, but I tweeted and you can look it up. I, I said, there is no reason why Marquez Stevenson is not off the board at this point, like somewhere in the fifth round. So when the bills mm -hmm. got him in the sixth, I was like, that's perfect. It's my favorite small, small speedster jet sweep guy, gadget type. Uh, and the bills get him in the sixth round. I thought that was tremendous value. Is he an immediate threat to Isaiah McKenzie right now? Or is there a way that they can keep both of those players on the roster? I think he's an immediate threat and it will be fascinating. It will be one of the more uh, interesting subplots of training camp in the preseason because we know that Brandon Bean loves Isaiah McKenzie, you know, picking him up as a street free agent after he ran back a, a, a punt return against the Panthers when Bean was in Carolina and that he's stuck on the roster for the last three years. And he's been a pretty good player, like low volume, but he's been pretty efficient. We also know that Brandon Bean is obsessed with continuing to upgrade the roster. He doesn't care the position. He seemingly doesn't have his crazy emotional ties to players. Like he will upgrade when he needs to. And I think Marquez Stevenson has the exact skill set that will threaten Isaiah McKenzie, who came into the league as a pretty fast player in his own right. I just don't think he has the second to third level juice down the field um, that Marquez Stevenson has. But we know, again, with the relationship with Josh Allen, the rapport that they have, his knowledge of the playbook, that will give him a little bit of a leg up. But I think in terms of sheer explosiveness, um, Stevenson has a little bit of an advantage in that regard. This offseason for McKenzie, it's got to be so – we saw him tweet, obviously, after they made the pick. I mean, he had some emoji reaction. It, I, I would assume he did not come out and, and, and confirm that by any stretch. But, you know, to, to go into an offseason when you score as many touchdowns as he did in a very limited role – and, you know, when we were talking after the Miami game, Ryan, on one of our shows, like I thought, man, the, the market for Isaiah McKenzie here probably pops after a performance like this against a team that was playing for, you know, their, their playoff lives. And he goes out there and puts on a show. And then, you know, we hear that seven or eight teams are in the mix, but he does decide to come back to Buffalo, which makes you think, I know it's a COVID, you know, impacted offseason, but maybe there wasn't a lot of options out there for him. So how does the, the league view Isaiah McKenzie? Because – Somewhere still in my mind, I, I do see a player as, you know, uh, you know, not a high drafted player. He, you know, they plucked him off a practice squad at one point. But I think that in the right situation with the right opportunity, he might be able to get some things done. And maybe this in a way is a blessing in disguise if he does get out of Buffalo, because I still think with Emmanuel Sanders in the mix now, as long as he stays healthy, I don't see how he's touching the ball on this offense consistently. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, the one thing I will say to just talk about traits, Stevenson is more explosive and has better long speed, but McKenzie is twitchier. I think he has more make-you-miss skill than Marquez Stevenson. I remember writing in my scouting report, and I tweeted it out right after the pick, that the one negative with Marquez Stevenson was that for being this smaller guy that's really fast, he's not Rondell Moore. He's not someone that is 
crazy elusive. He's more linear. He's super explosive, but he's not going to sink his hips and jump cut and make four or five defenders miss on a play. His game is purely predicated on speed. And I think, not that he's older, but the fact that Isaiah McKenzie's been in the league for a little bit and maybe has lost a quarter of a step. I think he ran like four, four, five coming out of Georgia. Uh, but he is better in those jet sweep situations because I think he can still make NFL defensive backs miss. So he'll have a little bit of an advantage in that, right? But Matt, you do make a good point. He could be a player. If Marquez Stevenson has a great camp uh, and is showing more ability down the field in the pass game than Isaiah McKenzie has, it wouldn't shock me if Brandon Bean says, hey, we love you, Isaiah, but we can get a, a relatively high mid-round pick for you at this point. Go somewhere else where you have more of an opportunity, not in this loaded Bills offense. All right, I want to do a little exercise here. Uh, we'll get into a couple more things before we let you get out of here. Um, you know, the, the defensive line, I think, after in the aftermath of this draft is just so intriguing now and in, in how it's going to play out, not only this year, but I almost think like it'll be fun projecting next year too. So I want to start things off with, you know, your first impressions of what you think this defensive line is going to look like at the end of the preseason going into 2021, who is your maybe, maybe odd man out if there is one. And then we could talk a little bit uh, about 2022 and how this thing might look next year as we try to project a little bit with how Boogie, Epinesa and Rousseau kind of fit together as a group. So are we talking depth chart here with like, yeah, the depth line? chart. And, and do you, I guess in 21, I guess my big question is how much trouble is Mario Edison in? I think he's in a fair amount of trouble. I think he needs to to show that he's still a, a solid, reliable veteran presence. If he doesn't have – I don't think he has to be super good during training camp in the preseason, but he needs to have a steady summer to, I think, cement himself on this roster because we know they can cut him, save a few million dollars, and with the cap restrictions – uh, you know, I, I think the Bills, along with a lot of other teams, are going to be looking to save any type of dollars that they can. And, and don't be surprised, too, and this will affect this, if Brandon Bean signs a veteran corner over the next couple of months. We know he's loved to do that in the past. Richard Sherman is still out there. Uh, so I, I think Addison is in a little bit of trouble. But what's interesting, and it didn't really happen last year, and I mentioned it about defensive tackles, Having so many defensive ends, and most of which now, the young guys at least, are big and can play inside. A.J. Epinesa only rushed seven times from defensive tackle last year. I, I mm -hmm. wouldn't hate if the Bills said, hey, we had you uh, playing in the 260s after you were 275 at the Combine. Maybe put back on that weight and be in the 270s or close to 280 where that where his frame can hold that because we're going to play you inside a little bit more and we're going to spread out this talent. So we don't have a log jam uh, at the defensive end spot, but to your specific question, I think Mario Addison is in a little bit of trouble. He needs to have a really good camp now getting into his thirties. What about the defensive tackle position? You mentioned star Latulale. Uh, I was someone that in a lot of my mock drafts had a one technique being added to this class as someone behind him, an heir apparent, uh, quietly Harrison Phillips was kind of a big winner actually based on who they didn't pick. But yep. is that still an area where you think the bills could go shopping, so to speak? Uh, a player like Antoine Woods was released today. And I'm not saying he necessarily is the perfect fit at that one technique uh, rotational role, but do you think the bills are settled there? Or do you think that that's a spot too, where Brandon Bean's going to keep his eye on who's cut? 
I think Brandon Bean will definitely keep an eye out because to get Star back, I think, helps this defense. But the Bills understand that he's a pretty limited player and he's getting up there in age. And you don't want to go into 2022 if you are a team like the Bills and have this long view with your quarterback in place. You don't want to go in with a huge gaping hole at one technique that is a still relatively low value position. You don't want to pick a first or a second rounder uh, to play that that block eating position. So that is a spot where I think you can still get a quality player in May, in June, in July, right before the season and plug him in, let him play 20, 30% of the snaps to keep star Latulale fresh. Uh, and then also that has a ripple effect as we saw it last year, especially early in the season on your playmakers like Ed Oliver and all this young talent at the edge rusher spot and even Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. So I don't think they're necessarily set, but you're right. Harrison Phillips should be happy with what transpired over draft week. And he's kind of that in-between guy. He can play zero, can play one, can play the three at uh, on some occasions, but I think him being the guy that is really the heir apparent at this point to start Latulale without that draft pick uh, really bodes well for his future in Buffalo. We know what you, your thoughts on, on Rousseau and you know, that might impact your, your take on this, but looking ahead to 2022, as you project this group long-term and, and let's just take, you know, the four guys now that they've used day one and very early day two capital on the last three drafts at Oliver Rousseau, Basham, and Epinesa. How do those guys project? I mean, if, if you were to sit here now or, or maybe even ahead, take yourself back to the beginning of their draft class and kind of put your thoughts on what you thought they were going to be in the league and maybe project them a little bit for us, for Bills fans, how does that group kind of mesh together in terms of what they all individually bring? Well, again, this comes down to the fact that we know Sean McDermott likes to rotate, and it seems like we've kind of reading the tea leaves that they do want to move some players around up and down the line of scrimmage. We haven't really seen that a ton yet. I know Ed Oliver had to play some one technique with Star Latulale opting out last year, and that's not his game. Yeah, let's what not I, do that again this year. Yeah, let's not do what that I, again. For that's, not, that's not the best way to use your former top 10 pick. Let him rush the passer against guards. That's where he's going to win. I think he's in for a big season quietly, um, especially with Star back. I think it's, it's AJ Epinesa, and to me – Carlos Basham as your two starting defensive ends in 2022, unless they, you know, bring back Jerry Hughes, who'll be in his mid thirties at that point, but certainly has been very productive throughout his entire tenure in Buffalo, because I just think they are versatile. And I think they're more NFL ready pro ready in terms of their pass rushing skill, uh, leverage power, but I can see Gregory Rousseau. And we know in today's NFL and with Sean McDermott having a third edge rusher, is still very important. And the one thing that, and I wrote it in my scouting report for Gregory Rousseau, that he can be a clean up sack monster in the NFL. That's really what he was at Miami with this 15 and a half sacks. Not a lot of pure one-on-one wins against offensive tackles, but at six, seven with like an 84 inch wingspan, once he gets in the backfield, it's not a situation that I think the bills fell into last year, having smaller edge rushers where Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison we're winning a lot, but we're not able to bring quarterbacks to the turf. I think with Basham and Epinesa on the edge, those are your one-on-one winners. And if you can use Gregory Rousseau, let him play inside too after a year in the strength and conditioning program. Get him up to 265, 270, 275. His frame can certainly withstand that weight addition to be that cleanup sack guy, to be this 
guy with tentacles in the middle of your defensive line that that can, even if he's not sacking the quarterback, will knock down a lot of passes. So I, I still think it will take maybe even more than a year for Gregory Rousseau to be the starting like 70% of the snap defensive end. I think Epinesa and Carlos Basham project more as a three down type. But in today's NFL, you need as many pass rushers as possible. And Rousseau with the length provides something that even these bigger players, Basham and Epinesa, don't provide. We don't have the benefit of a junior season for Rousseau to to dive into. Yeah. And I'm curious, if you can go back through the years, can you find a player that popped like Rousseau did as a pass rusher in, in a sophomore season and then any type of junior season to kind of project what he could be? Because I'm sitting here thinking of the rawness of his skill set, the fact that he didn't even start playing defensive line until he got to Miami. They, I think I read that in, in his freshman year, they wanted him to be a defensive tackle. They flip him to the edge more so in, in his sophomore year, the big production, obviously. But I, I feel like in a lot of ways, the projection comes from this guy is going to probably really start his education on the position when he kind of aligns with Eric Washington. So I'm, I'm curious, like not only if there's ever similar stories to that, but also like what would he have been in this draft? Had he come back and had, you know, similar production or even maybe a little bit less, but shown a little bit better as a pure one-on-one winner. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And the correct answer there would ultimately lead someone toward how good Gregory Russo is going to be in the NFL. I think had he played in 2020, we likely would have seen a regression in the amount of sacks that he had. Like 15 and a half sacks is a lot at the college level, but he probably would have been better in one-on-one situations, creating more pressures as an individual. Uh, But we didn't get to see that season. And in terms of precedent, in terms of going in the first round, at the edge rusher spot, I don't know if we've ever seen someone like him. And part of that is obviously because of coronavirus. To have one year at the college level, crazy production, then you don't play, and then you get picked in the first round. So COVID definitely played a role with this selection. Um, and and I, I think a big part of it for Rousseau, like you mentioned, starting the education, you mentioned their defensive line coach, Eric Washington, learning how to use his long arms as his best friend. Like that will be vital and not only just packing on weight but we said it was spencer brown playing lower to the ground and converting that 10 yard split that brandon bean talked about that was actually very explosive into power through a blocker if he can add a bull rush to his arsenal and is not just trying to win around left and right tackles i think gregory russo could actually be a really good player but he is just so raw unsurprising though because he did that as a a red shirt freshman in 2019. Chris, in your opinion, how much did connections lead to the Bills making this pick? And what I mean by that is Dan Morgan, alum of Miami, obviously still has connections and ties to that school. Sean McDermott, very close with Manny Diaz, the head coach of the University of Miami. So how much do you think those connections made the Bills feel comfortable with this pick at 30? They had to have been huge, and that's, again, something that is not going to be baked into any of my uh, grading system, Mm -hmm. my scouting reports, but you bringing that up, Ryan, is a point that cannot be forgotten because we know that the Bills, yes, they want to get the best players available, good athletes, guys with clean film. They're all about culture, too, and guys that really love football and are going to be good in the locker room. Having those connections to Manny Diaz, and with Dan Morgan, with that Miami program, they definitely 
vetted, not Gregory Rousseau on the field. They understood. Brandon Bean admitted it, that he's a raw player. They vetted the football intelligence, the football care, desire to be a top-tier player that Gregory Rousseau has by talking to the coaches, uh, assistants, position guys, other teammates. You know that they did all of the work on Gregory Rousseau to be sitting there at 30. And when that uh, war room camp came up, they were all celebrating that they were happy that Gregory Rousseau was there. So that's a great point to bring up uh, and can't be overlooked because the Bills have gotten the best out of a lot of players who were either raw or Isaiah McKenzie types that were street free agents. So I think that played into this pick as much as, hey, this guy's 6'7", he's raw, but he has a high ceiling. They believe that they're getting someone that truly wants to be good. I think Josh Allen's a prime example of that too, that they, I don't know what connections they had to the Wyoming coaching staff, but they said, hey, this guy is a raw physical talent, but he also has the mental capacity and the wherewithal to improve himself. And we know that he's done that each and every offseason. And that's why we have the Josh Allen that we have today. So that probably factored in quite a bit when it came to the Bills selecting Gregory Rousseau at 30 overall. All right, we're going to be wrapping up here in a minute, but I want to roundtable this before we get out of here, go around the horn a little bit. Um, Brandon Bean was, like we mentioned earlier, on with One Bills Live today. I thought it was a good interview. I would, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to it. He said some stuff that he hadn't really dove too far into yet. And, you know, the, the topic of the UDFA class came out. They haven't announced that yet. Uh, Ryan had a bunch, has a bunch more over at the site uh, that we reported uh, over the weekend. And uh, he said that it's, it's, it's a process. that's going to take a little bit more time. Uh, they, they have workouts scheduled for next week and they want to kind of get a look at, at more players as, as teams around the league kind of try to figure this out in terms of roster numbers. Because if you remember last year, you know, teams were told, Hey, we need to bring you down to 80 uh, going into this COVID pandemic, shorten the, shorten the rosters, uh, take some of the overhead out of this. And now this year you're anticipating 90 again, but you probably don't want to be in that situation again where you add up to 90 and then you got to subtract down to 10 in an emergency. So, you know, the bills are kind of playing the slow game here. And he also mentioned like, you know, going back to the cornerback position there, there's, there's going to, he's going to be in the shopping market was the quote. Uh, he's a buyer still at this time uh, on a limited budget. He made sure to say uh, they'll have to probably move some money around. But I guess my question now is, you know, you're looking at the roster and how how each position group is set up. Obviously, the vote of confidence for Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson with only going wild goose in the draft. Who is maybe a player, uh, maybe on the free agent market? We've seen some some movement there since the draft that all of us uh, chime in first, Chris, and then go, Ryan, you think the Bills would should probably consider going after? I know Richard Sherman is the big name, and I think it would be very sensible for the Bills. But Steven Nelson, I believe, is still a free agent. Uh, and I think he, having played with the Chiefs and the Steelers, uh, never been like a Pro Bowl caliber guy, like all pro level. But I think he's very steady, can play inside or outside, good athlete too. Uh, and like you mentioned, Brandon Bean said, I'm still a shopper, but we're on a little bit of a budget. I think he would come at a much lesser cost than Richard Sherman at this point. So yeah, Richard Sherman would be a great get this late in his career. Um, because of, I think even though he's lost a few steps, he's still so smart with understanding zone coverage and where he and all of his teammates need to be. I think Steven Nelson though, is a more realistic option. Yeah. I'm going to go with Antoine Woods, a defensive tackle that I mentioned earlier in the show, just let go by the Cowboys today, uh, started out his career on drafted free agent moved, uh, with the Tennessee Titans 
came over to the Cowboys, worked his way from pretty much being like the fourth string defensive tackle all the way up to a starter. Uh, really good in a rotational situation. And I think that, again, when it comes to price, you're not breaking the bank on an Antoine Woods. So he fits. He's someone that I think could give Harrison Phillips a run for his money. More of a true one technique by far, obviously. He's around 320, uh, I believe. So kind of fits that role, fits what the Bills look uh, look for in players in terms of they're hungry, they're determined. They came from that undrafted free agent status and they worked their way into a starting role in the NFL, which is obviously not easy to do. Last year, I, maybe it's just recency bias, but I thought the Bills should you know, take a long look at Bradley Roby. Uh, I, I like the way that he plays. I think he would fit into Sean McDermott's defense. And one thing that st- stood out to me that Brandon Bean said this last week was, you know, take, you know, what defensive scheme a guy plays in. We're looking for traits. We're looking for guys that are physical, that are reactionary, that that tackle hard. And I'm going to have a little bit of recency bias, I guess, again. I think that they should take a long look at Bashad Breeland. I think that this is the kind of player that you get him involved in this, in this um, situation here. Not only is it going to probably help your defense if he ends up, you know, being on the field, whatever position or role they find for him but just think about the practice environment i mean he him and Diggs had quite the battle in that afc title game last year and i'm sure that would ratchet up the competition we know how much brandon bean wants to do that inside the room i just really like that that idea i know kansas city's continuing to talk to him but to your point chris and you started it off i, I really like them adding another cornerback I don't necessarily even think the door is closed on an eventual reunion with Josh Norman if it gets to the final hour and they just want to bring him back in the mix because they know that on a limited basis, he played pretty well for them last year too. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Ryan's pick with Antoine Woods makes a lot of sense. He kind of reminds me of Vincent Taylor, like that that same kind of vibe that played uh, a few years ago for the Bills was like a street free agent that they brought in, one technique, overachiever. That's the, the type uh, that the Bills would be getting with Antoine Woods. But we know, I mean, regardless who's ultimately right from this roundtable, Brandon Bean will add some more players that are already in the NFL, not undrafted free agents over the next couple months. All right, Chris Trapasso giving us 45 minutes tonight uh, after the grind of NFL draft season. You can find him over on cbssports.com. Uh, CBS Sports HQ did all this great uh, analysis throughout the draft process. My man, we're so thankful to you. I was looking forward to this, and you delivered. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Anytime. And let everybody know before we get out of here where they can find your stuff now as we kind of move into looking ahead to 2022. Yeah, I have a I have a 2022 mock draft to do <laughs> yes. on Monday. I got like a week off from doing one, so I was thrilled about that. But I'll I'll start to dive in a little bit, just do some preliminary watches of some 2022 guys. But really, I'm a young NFL player analyst as well. Like they want me writing about guys on their rookie contract, so I'll do a lot of rookie stuff at CBS Sports over the summer. That's I think what people want to hear more than you know watch lists for 2022, like 10 months out from the draft. Awesome stuff, man. Well, for Chris Trapasso, Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Stay tuned. I'm not sure if we're going to have a show next week. I may be on vacation. Uh, and I know uh, every, I know, right? <laughs> Good I'm, for you. Then, uh, we got the baseball, Little League baseball season starting off. So, you know, you got priorities here. But we will be back at some points. Keep it locked onto the YouTube channel. Subscribe. Uh, uh, like the video. I, I always forget to say that. Smash that like button. Ryan does it better than me. Uh, we'll be back, uh, if not next Wednesday, a week after that. Take care, everyone.